Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Super big thanks to the whole big team today as we're fighting the lightning all over Tampa Bay. But thanks so much to Jose Cruz and Joe Weaver for getting everything engineered today for the show so that you can be challenged in your face, so that you can be challenged to connect what you learn on Sunday and apply it to what you learn on Monday, and specifically what you learned today and how you apply it to November the 8th, potentially the most impactful election of our times. And no, this is not a political show. No, we're not going to talk candidates. What we're talking about is the impact on our faith. We're going to talk about the impact on our ability to share our faith in our workplaces. But before we get to our guests... Just a couple of things I'd like to be able to talk to you about. I'd like to invite you to get out to iWorkForHim.com. Go out there under our website and check it out. We've got all of the archives of all of our past shows are out there. All of the uh, the podcasts are out there. So we take the shows and we eliminate the commercials so you can listen to it a little quicker. But those are all out there, all 560 or 70 or 80 shows. I don't know. I lose track. That's all out there as a resource for you. Many of those old shows Past shows are very relevant to today. We're also out there on iTunes. In case you want to sign up for our podcast, you absolutely can sign up to I Work For Him and get any of the podcasts that we have out there. A great resource. But when you're on iWorkForHim.com, really love to invite you to check out the I Work For Him Nation and to tell, uh, just to consider joining. Here's what we're looking for. We're looking for Christ followers all across the country to make the commitment to start Doing this, doing these things, start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. Looking for ways to serve those people that you work alongside. Look for ways to befriend them. Because if you're, if you're befriending the people that you work with, if you're serving the people that you work with, those two items alone partnered with prayer, you will start to see a transformation in your workplace. And and that's so critical because we need to be constantly aware, constantly intentional with our steps as we go to work each and every day. And as we pray for people, you will see God transform your heart into looking at those people that you work alongside with his eyes, which is so incredible when we start to see people the way he does. And he sees them as amazing creations, as individuals with their own identity, their own destiny, their own DNA. And he knows that Jesus died for them, just like he died for you. He loves them dearly. And while we were yet sinners, he died for them. Before we even born, he knew we would be born. Those are the people that you work alongside. To 
I work for him. Nation members also look for ways to pray with people. When you notice that they're just having a rough day, when you notice that people just don't seem as up as they normally do, you ask them the question, hey, what's going on in your life today? Are you doing all right? And when they tell you what's going on, and you have, if you feel it's appropriate, and many times it is, you say, hey, can I pray with you about that? Because if it's impacting how they feel, if it's impacting how they look, it's definitely something that you and I can be praying about with them. All along, members of the I Work For Him Nation are people of excellence, people striving to be the best, the brightest in their position, in their workplace. It is so important as Christ followers that we set the standard for excellence in our workplaces. It's so important that we set the standard for what the best, the brightest of employees look like in our company. But it all does take a paradigm shift in our minds. And Romans 12, 2 reminds us of this. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You know, I'm not sure why you and I do this, but we get surprised at our faith being attacked. And over the last 20 or 30 years, really, my entire lifetime, our, the, the, the increase of attack on our faith has grown every day. Maybe not every day, but every month, certainly every year. And it seems like the administrations, the, the people in the Congress, constantly erode our rights based on our constitutional rights, our religious freedoms. And this next election is a lot about that. If you haven't noticed the increased tension in the last two years of the attacks on our Christian faith, it is absolutely critical that you and I know what's upcoming. We've got today on the line with us, Brad Dacus. He's the president of the Pacific Justice Institute. He fights for religious freedom in the United States. How do we get prepared? Brad Dacus, tell us. Thanks for being on I Work For Him. Oh, it's great to be on the program. Thank you very much. Um, well, one thing we need to do as far as fighting for religious freedom is not to let any pitch make uh, go past the plate. That is, when the ACLU or some entity does something, or government, um, that we don't just say, oh, well, we won't get this one, we'll do, we'll do others. And the reason that's so important is, is because if we don't, then it creates a chill, a chilling effect. All it takes is one person to be fired from their job because of their faith, uh, to go unchallenged, or a child uh, suspended for sharing his faith. These are real cases that we have at Pacific Justice Institute. Let one pass, and it has a chilling effect. And that what's, what's also real important uh, to note um, is the fact that uh, our organization is committed to doing just that. We're very unique. We don't just take on the, the high-profile, uh, big, you know, big-game cases. We're very unique and that we work hard to make sure everyone gets help. That's why we handled last year roughly 4,000 requests for assistance without charge all throughout the country. That's amazing. And what what I'm really looking for today from you is for us just to get educated. How is it impacting us, these candidates that are being elected, not only just the ones for president, but the ones for Congress, the ones for the House, ones for the Senate, the, the judiciary. It's so important that we recognize what's going on all around us. Brad Dacus, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, is joining us today as we dig deep into this. Brad, because I diatribed a little bit too long at the beginning of the show, I didn't get a chance to ask you my typical question. Because my listeners, I love for people to know that the people that I'm interviewing are dealing with the same things that we're all dealing with. Hey, how are you wrestling in your faith? How are you wrestling? How are you seeing the Lord work in your life? So I love seeing how the Lord deals with those intimate details in our lives. How have you noticed our Heavenly Father dealing in your details, paying attention to the intimate details in your life recently? 
Well, there's several dimensions to that. Uh, one is as a, as a father, uh, I have two kids. Uh, my daughter's just went into seventh grade. My son just went into ninth grade. Um, anyway, so uh, that's a, um, a very humbling time in life, um, needless to say, and uh, and how um, how it's I've, I'm spending more time praying, I think, than than uh, than in the past, especially for my for my children as they go through this time of change, uh, but also. Uh, as we as we see these these serious cases on the on the on the, the legal side, um, I have to more and more re- recognize uh, specifically that God is uh, that He's actively involved. That this is um, the delusion that we see taking place is illogical and has a spiritual level, and that I've had to acknowledge uh, unlike it never before. Uh, you know, as far as policies and just this, you know, secular utilitarian arguments, I'm used to dealing with that stuff. What I'm not dealing used to dealing with is things that are are totally ignoring truth and illogical and delusional. Which we can, I know we'll talk about that, like boys going into girls' showers and being naked with teenage girls as a matter of right. Things that are just totally outside the lot, the, the realm of reason. And then the third element is on ministry. Um, I will tell you, uh, I've really seen God work. It's exciting. I love to. More than filing lawsuits and appeal things to the higher courts, um, I love to, to preach the word, and I am so encouraged because um, I just it's, it's so exciting. Like I'm preaching more than every other Sunday now at, uh, at churches, and to see people come to Christ at the end of a service is probably the biggest joy I have uh, in life. Is seeing people come to Christ, and uh, God is still moving, the Holy Spirit is still moving, and uh, whenever, as I see that happening on a regular basis, it's uh, it's a real encouragement to know the Holy Spirit hasn't left, the rapture hasn't happened, and we have, <laughs> we, have, we have no business throwing in the towel. Well, and, and that is so true. And if there's anything we make sure we make clear today to people is it doesn't matter who gets elected. God is still on the throne. We're not throwing in the towel. Uh, it, it, and if anything... Because of the attacks on our religious liberties, it gives each one of us as Christ followers an opportunity to dig deeper into our faith, to solidify our faith, to really just grab hold and say, okay, no, this is this is what I believe. And Jesus is, he revolutionized my life. He can revolutionize your life. I mean, it's, is it, I'm totally excited that you're getting to speak that often. So as you're talking about religious liberty, how do you, how do you take them from, because everybody's all worried about, they're all worried about, you know, my religious liberties being attacked and things like that. How do you bring that, how do you tie the gospel into that message at the end? Oh, it's, it's really easy because uh, one of my favorite messages I've been giving recently is Second Timothy chapter 3 and 4, where it starts off, where in the last days perilous times will come, talks about all the, the some of the ugly things that we're going to see taking place. And then uh, Paul gets into, then says, okay, how do we respond to it? And it goes and talks about, you know, follow my example in love and perseverance, uh, cling to the word, preach the gospel, um, you know, and then uh, keep your eye on the prize, you know, and, it's, it, and Paul says, you know, and, and, and not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing, you know, that's, that's the crown of righteousness. And at the end I say, now, if you love Jesus appearing, if he was to appear right now, you'd be confident, you'd be excited. Great. I said, but if you're here tonight or here this morning at this end, and you do not have that confidence um, of his appearing, which says real clear here, real clear, that you will probably not get the crown of righteousness then, because that's the test. And right now you can pass that test if you give your life to Christ. And then I go right into the gospel and the opportunity for people to receive Christ. Because at the end of the day, the most important thing we're facing all kinds of challenges, but 
even though they had tremendous challenges, Paul never kept his eye off the mark of people coming to Christ and discipling people to be followers of Jesus. That has to be the center point of our focus as Christians as we go through these dark times and, uh, and, and perilous journeys. Well, and really, when you relate the times to Paul's time and today's time, today, our time in the United States of America is getting more and more similar to yes. what the times are like, we're like under Paul in, in Rome. Oh, oh, it is. It is. And the, uh, you know, the, the blatant hostility, the aggressive hostility, um, you know, having to, people say, well, you know, how bad is it? I said, well, you know, we at Pacific Justice Institute just this summer had to represent a preacher, sidewalk preacher, being criminally prosecuted by the San Diego District Attorney's Office uh, because he preached about sin along with salvation. And one of those sins, one of the, we referenced just in Scripture, one of them, one of many, uh, was homosexual conduct. And he was being charged with hate speech, and they wouldn't drop the charges unless he agreed to go through a reorientation program. I'm not exaggerating. That's their words, not ours. Um, and we said no, and it went all the way up to the day before the trial. That they find that at the end of the day before the trial, they decided to drop the criminal charges. The trial didn't happen. He came that close to being criminally prosecuted for preaching the gospel message on a public forum of a public sidewalk in a commercial area, which is protected. That's where we are, and there's many more examples that I think should really wake us up to uh, to take our faith seriously, not to fear but to take our faith seriously. Well, yeah, and, and, and again, we're not talking to these subjects today because we need to do it out of fear. We're doing it out of education because a lot of people have lived in the past several decades with their head in the sand thinking, well, this will never happen in the United States of America. But in the last two years, it has ramped up exponentially in the attacks. I mean, people saying, no, I'm not going to make a cake for your, for your homosexual wedding. And they, they lost their businesses and they lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And now the school's being forced to have, like you said, let boys go into the bathrooms. If they feel like girls today, they get to go into the bathrooms of the girls or into the showers of the girls. I mean, just it's the ridiculousness of it all. But it makes sense to us. But in a world where there are many gods in their mind and in a world where there is no moral absolute anymore, that's what they think, uh, these things just seem like, well, I guess it's okay because our world has lost its way. Yeah, and, and they're losing their, their reference point. And in Romans 1, it sort of talks about when people are proud and turn from God, then we, we, we sort of become delusional. We, we are, are subject to, to not seeing clearly uh, the truth. And the, the classic example, like you said, is, Boys, like we're fighting it right now in the courts in California, uh, trying to get it, uh, protecting a referendum to get it repealed in California. Boys going to girls' showers and locker rooms, legally being able to strip in front of a girl and a, a girl, or, or look at a girl that's naked, and there's nothing they can do about it. And if the girls, when they do complain, this has happened uh, many, many times in California now since it became law, uh, girls are ostracized for being uh, bigoted and uh, intolerant, etc. Uh, and then we also have the, the fact, the truth, that majority of transgender boys are still sexually attracted to the opposite sex. Many think they're, they're all homosexual. Quite the contrary. Most are st still sexually attracted to the opposite sex, yet we're delusional to this, this hideous thing that's taking place. Uh, we also have some other you know, clear examples of, of strange things happening where we're, we're talking about um, you know, Christian college universities being told you have to change your philosophy, we won't be willing to hire people that totally have lifestyles against your faith, or uh, no longer will students be able to attend your colleges with, with Cal Grants. Low-income minority students will be prevented from being able to go to a Christian college like Viola 
Um, we have the, the curriculum that's being changed with the homosexual transgender role models statutorily required. This isn't just a, a rumor thing. No, it's, it's, it's AB 777. It was required, and it's, it's all being infused in all the curriculum, all the, uh, the uh, social studies and history curriculum. Um, and, and, and then we also see the, the prohibition on counseling. In the past, a pastor can be a licensed counselor. Um, not in the state of California. If he's going to give a biblical worldview and helping kid, young kids who are struggling with same-sex attraction or gender identity, um, that's illegal now in California. It's also illegal in Illinois, New Jersey. Uh, and so we're fighting that. We just argued it for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and now we're going to be taking it on banc to the broader Ninth Circuit. Um, even Christian clubs, youth clubs, uh, you know, there was a, a law that came just a few votes short in California that would have punished and taken away the tax-exempt status of every nonprofit youth ministry like Awanas, Young Life, Youth for Christ, Boy Scouts, uh, unless they were willing to hire transgender or uh, uh, openly practicing homosexual youth uh, uh, scout leaders or youth leaders. Um, and, and that just barely passed two-thirds in the state Senate, barely did not pass in the state assembly. But that kind of open hostility, in-your-face persecution, uh, this is something I wouldn't have dreamed or imagined just five years ago. And so it's happening so fast. That's why I am thinking uh, sincerely, not just theologically, but sincerely, that we very well could be moving very quickly uh, into the last times we need to. And I know about others, but I'm taking my faith more seriously than ever because of it. Well, and that's where I want to talk about the mission of the Pacific Justice Institute and, and how you guys got started and, and how, why it's so important today, and especially tonight, in light of the, this, this huge presidential debate tonight, which you know, will probably be watched by, I don't know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people around the world tonight. People want to know what's going on in the United States, but why this election is so critical, because as you argue before the judiciary at all different levels— that's where the laws are being formed or being reinforced or, you know, there's all different kinds of really crazy stuff going on in the judiciary. Brad, as we engage the audience today and we challenge them to vote and get involved in this process that we've been so blessed to be involved with in this country, why is this election really unparalleled compared to other elections in the past because of the impact on the judiciary? Oh, it is the big, the judiciary is the big elephant in the middle of the room uh, when it comes to priorities and this, and with regard to this election. Um, it's, uh, it's, it, let me just explain. Right now we have Scalia's uh, position has got to be filled. Uh, we have a 4-4 tie in the Supreme Court. It will shift it one way or the other. But then we have Justice Thomas, who's a great justice. He already alluded that he wants to step down at the end, possibly of next year, uh, uh, the next session. And uh, then we have Ginsburg, who will very likely, one way or the other, be stepping down uh, in this next four year terms, four years. So we have a major shift that will likely take place in the Supreme Court uh, based on who gets elected president. And they're very different in terms of their perspectives on judges. Um, you know, Hillary Clinton, uh, she salutes judicial activism. Uh, she's already alluded that she'll appoint someone. Uh, well, let's, 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 just, let's explain that, Brad, because not everybody understands judicial activism. Go ahead and just say what that is. Yeah, that's, someone, that's a judge who says, you know what, um, I know that the Constitution uh, says X, Y, and Z, but, you know, I think it really should be changed and expanded to say Z, Y, X. Uh, so, like a classic example with same-sex marriage. There's nothing in the Constitution uh, supporting same-sex marriage. There's nothing explicitly. The intent, the original intent of those who were drafted the 14th Amendment was not for same-sex marriage. Uh, they would laugh. They would uh, they'd wait for the punchline if you were to tell them, tell them that it was. 
So, um, so a judicial activist says, no, but times have changed, so we're going to change how we, what this means. And, and, and uh, Hillary Clinton has been in favor of the same-sex marriage decision. She says up front and open that she's going to appoint those kind of judges on the court. Uh, uh, Trump has come out and said, no, um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not for judicial activism. Uh, I'm a strict, I'm strict constructionalist. I believe in appointing judges that will not do that. They'll respect the Constitution. And what's really awesome about about Trump is the fact that he's come out with two solid lists. You know, he's added to so it's one large list of specific names that he says these are the ones I'm considering. And every single one of them is one that respects the Constitution and respects religious freedom in particular. Now, and Hillary Clinton has not come out with a list like that, correct? Oh no, no, she hasn't. And um, but she has conveyed that, that she's in favor of these judicial activist decisions and the fact that she will appoint someone to the left of the one that President Obama has recommended, um, who is already to the left. So she, is, she will be a, a, we all have the courts thrust upon the courts, um, judicial activists with a very liberal philosophy, amoral philosophy, uh, with no recognition of the laws of nature or nature's God or natural law, um, it's it's very very prob- very 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 problematic. But we're all just talking about the Supreme Court, though, mind you. That's huge. We're also talking about appointments to the Federal Circuit Court. Right now, only three only three of twelve circuits are have a majority of judges that were appointed by um, uh, judicial uh, conservatives, if you will. But as far as presidents, only three. The other nine already have majorities of, of liberal uh, activist judges. If, 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 uh, if Hillary is elected president, I'm convinced those three, those final three, will also shift with more appointments, and we will not have a single circuit court in the country that will be able to, we can count on, to stand up for the Constitution. And then, of course, all these lower court federal judges all across the country, they're also being replaced as well. Uh, so uh, we have, the, the big issue is who's going to be on, this, on our courts that's more important than even the direct decisions, other decisions made by the, the president, whoever's elected. Well, and I think what's important, just a little social studies lesson. You know, at you, at, at Brad, with the Pacific Justice Institute, I mean, you guys are supporting what we all learn in social studies in, in, today or, and in yesteryear was that there's three equal branches of government. The Congress writes the law, the president uh, signs the stuff in the law, and he's the commander in chief, and the judges and the courts uphold the law. But what's happened in the last, really the last, there's been a lot of it in the last 20 years, certainly a lot of it in the last eight years, where they'll see the law and they're like, yeah, we don't really like that. We don't really like what the people are saying, so we're going to write our own law. For instance, in how many states did the the uh, residents of the state, did the, the people, like people live in Florida, how many constitutional amendments were there that said we believe marriage is between a man and a woman? How many states had that constitutional um, where they voted on that and said this is what it is, and then it was still overthrown by the the district courts of appeal? Right. Yeah. The over. Yeah. Clear majority of the states had amended their state constitutions to make sure this was protected, and the people voted on it, and they approved it, and they affirmed it, and then the Supreme Court said no. We the, we the elite, the, the five to four majority on the Supreme Court, we the elite know what's best. We will dictate to you, and there's nothing you can do about it because we're lifetime appointees. Well, the only thing we can do about it is who will be making future appointments, and that's the person sitting in the Oval Office of President of the United States. Mm-hmm. So talk to me. Just give a little history. How did the Pacific Justice Institute come about? 
Yeah, I was the Western Regional Coordinator for another organization called Rutherford, headquartered back east in Virginia, um, headed up by John W. Whitehead, who's a man who I deeply admire as the founder of the postmodern religious freedom movement in America. And after five years, I opened the office. After five years, everything's going really smooth. And what happens in life when everything's really smooth, you're on cruise control, suddenly something gets in the middle of the road and you have to go left or right. And that's what happened here. The national office, they had to scale back, so they shut down the regional offices. They offered me a job back east to head up their public affairs office, actually a promotion, a higher salary, larger staff would be on all the TV, radio, uh, representations for the cases. I said yes, and I had insomnia. I couldn't sleep. I prayed about it. I said, okay, God, um, fine, I'll do it, but I have just a few little requirements. I need to have free office space donated, free computer system, keep me on the radio stations for free. We have to be in the black in three months, and I'm not going to ever charge anyone. And um, <laughs> I was scared, okay, I was scared. And and yet God came through on all of those miraculously. Attorney General Ed Meese signed on in the first 90 days to be chairman of our advisory board. He still serves faithfully as chairman of our advisory board. And we have now uh, exploded. We have we handle on the West Coast, we handle more case matters on the West Coast alone defending religious freedom, parents' rights, than any other organization. Uh, but we also have hundreds of volunteer affiliate attorneys all across the United States, in Florida and Maine, everywhere. Um, and we work hard uniquely to make sure that no one is left on the side of the road, that everyone gets help. And uh, that's what we do, and we do it very faithfully. I also have a commentary on 460 stations as well called The Legal Edge, and God's really blessed that and enabled us to help um, uh, many, many more people than before. So the cases that you – let's just look at the tide, the change in the tide. Did the tide come in or tide going out, depending on whatever you want to look at. But the changing tide in our culture and the kinds of cases that you've represented – how has that changed in, in the attacks on religious liberties, our basic rights against the Constitution, and fights against the Constitution, and parental rights? How have you seen that tide change in the last eight years? Um, very adversely, uh, in many ways. Uh, first, I'll talk about the positive, okay? The positive is we've seen greater, uh, stronger, particularly in the Ninth Circuit, greater, stronger protection for uh, the rights of churches to build, grow, and expand under the uh, Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act of 2000. So church built rights in that regard. However, converse, right on parallel with that, we've seen greater challenges still to churches. Uh, we're representing a church right now. They've been in their building for a good while. They bought the building. They own the building. And we've got, in uh, San Diego County, we've got a, a, a city government saying, no, we don't want you there. We're not going to renew your conditional use permit. You've got to get out of your building even though you own it. And, you're, and you've been worshiping there for months. Um, things like that are still taking place, and those are and those are growing and those are increasing. We also see greater hostility in public schools. Uh, while we have some great case law defending the rights of students to to live their faith, practice their faith, we still have an increase in open hostility uh, taking place uh, in public schools to students who live their faith and invite kids to church. For example, one of our case matters by two of our friends to church. He had to apologize in writing three times. Uh, we had to file a lawsuit, and we prevailed. Uh, over in that case, but just the Wait, fact so that she even, had to she had to write apology notes for inviting somebody to church. Yeah, she had not just one. The first two, uh, two weren't accepted. She had to write it three times before the principal was satisfied that she truly understood how wrong it was that, that uh, inviting two of her friends to church during recess. Well, during recess, so this wasn't during a class. She wasn't being disrupted. She was reaching out in friendship to people to invite them to church. That's that's the kind of thing we're facing, and there's there's more trends we're, we're dealing with as well. We're focusing on, hey, how will this impact my workplace, my home place, my church place? 
Will it impact my parental rights, my religious freedoms? This upcoming election is so critical. We've already seen a huge degradation of our, uh, and, a, and an increase, a degradation of our rights and an increase and attack on Christian morals and principles, biblical morals and principles that our country was founded on. And Brad is here to help us parse through this and figure out exactly what we should be doing with it. Brad, thanks so much for being on our work for him today. Oh, my pleasure. You know, as we talk today about the the attacks on freedoms, you mentioned a scary two two scary words when uh, during one of the last couple of segments. You talked about the attack on parental rights. What do you mean, parental rights? What do you mean? Yeah, actually, this is one of the most serious assaults, uh, travesties taking place, and yet one of those it receives very little press and media, and and for good reason. Uh, the, the courts don't allow it, and and here's why. Uh, we're talking about, right now, in most states across the country, social workers are more aggressively than ever taking children from parents and families. Some of, a lot of times are homeschooling families, families that use corporal punishment. And uh, they're saying, oh, these, kids, these parents are abusive, they're uh, neglectful. Um, and we have seen this uh, increase over and over again. How, wide, how broad spread is the abuse? Well, uh, over half the children that are taken from, from families by social workers are returned within three days. People say that's great, but no. These are kids that are stripped and examined by a stranger and traumatized mentally and emotionally. Then there are the many who are taken that, uh, that shouldn't be taken, and they're taken for terrible reasons. Now, sometimes other oh, drug-abusive parents, irresponsible parents, um, sexual abusive parents. Absolutely, this happens, and those kids rightfully so need to be protected. But the, the present system in most states have no due process protection. So you don't get a jury of your peers. It's all behind closed doors. Uh, there's no required audio videotaping what the child actually said. It's all hearsay. It's, it's worse than the Taliban, frankly, uh, is what we have. We have a separate system. It's called juvenile court system without the same due process rights, not the same rights that a criminal would get, for example. So parents are having their children taken on a, a, on a massive scale across the United States. We at Pacific Justice Institute have put together model legislation. Some states have taken it and, and run with it. Most have not. And, uh, and that's a, a very serious uh, concern. We at Pacific Justice give emergency counsel uh, to parents who have yet to have their children taken. Once the kids are taken, we can't do anything about it. It's up to the uh, public defender to help them, et cetera. But uh, that is a serious issue. We need greater, much greater due process protection for parents who are, who are losing by the thousands every year children from wonderful Christian families, uh, simply because their beliefs. And um, in fact, if I can give a w- real quick example, what's now coming out in California Please. and other places, um, we've had two cases like this. One was a pastor, and uh, the, their child came out and said uh, that they are uh, feel like they're a transgender, and <clears throat> that they want to change their gender. Uh, they want to start being called. Uh, it's a, uh, it was a, 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 a girl want to be called a boy from now on. And the public school, you know, counselor heard about this and uh, was about to interview the parents. And I talked to the parents and helped them through so they would say the right things, a social worker. But here's the problem. If they had said, no, we reject this. We know God made our daughter as a girl. Biologically, she's a 100% girl. This is a mental condition. We're going to get Christian counseling, and we're going to, you know, do da-da-da-da-da and pray for her. And they would have had their child taken. You see, if a parent does not affirm a child at any age, and there is a statement that they think they're the opposite sex, uh, you know, they have gender identity dysphoria, or 
if a child says that they're openly practicing uh, homosexual or gay, if the parents don't affirm that, then that is now grounds in California to take that child. And they're placed in a cu- with a couple, I will say a couple, that has a totally different worldview and lifestyle. That is happening right now as we're speaking in California, and it's coming to states all across the United States if legislators really don't wake up and people don't wake up on who they're voting for this election. So let's let's talk about that because there is you're saying it happened in California and as California goes eventually the rest of the nation goes it's always been the case it the the the, the weirdest the wackiest the most left ideas start in California and eventually make it across the coast and through the south it it, it goes from California to New York and then comes back right the blue states first dominated by democrat legislators they're the first that are that are, that are and will be jumping on this and then it'll make its way down to, to other states like all the way, like Florida, for example. What's scary to me is that there's a lot of people listening today that they're, they're, in, they're in regular workplaces. They're, they're living in places where they don't see this kind of attack on our religious freedoms. They don't see the attack on Christianity. And so they're not really aware that this stuff's going on. Now, I've got people listening in California. Obviously, they know it's going on because they're reading it. They're hearing about it. They're seeing it. Their neighbors are experiencing it. The church is talking about it, I hope. But in the South, where it's still the Bible Belt, not a lot of this stuff is being talked about yet. So draw these conclusions for people listening today and how these attacks on religious freedom are impacting people in the workplace in California. Yeah, I'm really glad you, you, you brought that up um, because things have changed very in a very stark, uh, dire way as far as the workplace goes. And that's why, real quick, before so I don't forget, that's why we at Pacific Justice Institute have prepared a training video called Faith in the Workplace to train business owners, managers, CEOs on how they can legally protect themselves but also evangelize their customers, their employees, their community. And uh, we, that's, that's, uh, we provide that without charge. We're not, even, we're not selling that. That's, just, uh, that's on your website? It's, on our, it's also it's on our website. Uh, people can actually look at it on the website, part one and part two, but they can also request a, a free copy of it on DVD uh, for their church group. Um, it's very empowering. So I want to stay, start right off with the positive there's great opportunities for evangelism people can be empowered with. And, uh, and I, I love your show, by the way, because <laughs> you're, you're, you. you're, that's your part, a lot of your theme, which I think is very positive. Uh, but there are some, some negative things that we need to be facing with. And by the way, once again, it's pacificjustice.org. And they can also sign up to get our, our case updates, our press releases, and really keep up with what's really happening um, that oftentimes the media is not covering. But uh, there are some serious situations in the workplace. Uh, for example, states are passing laws that um, are, uh, like, for example, um, in, in, the work, in the workplace, for whether it's, a, whether it's the government or even the private sector, um, that create uh, new, like, alleged, like, uh, harassment laws and procedures uh, for those who, um, because of their sexual orientation or uh, uh, transgender status, are now uh, protected in a way that trumps the religious beliefs of uh, the employer. Like you mentioned the baker, for example. We have a case like that that's pending in another state. Um, where they're having to compromise, or whether it's a photographer or a florist dealing with weddings, um, but it's also can even be, even be um, uh, in a way that could help. It, it could be an intimidate a Christianity in a business. You know, for example, let's say you have a, a Bible study in a, in a business which is protected presently, and uh, they're going through and they're going through scripture that talks about how homosexual conduct, along with fornication and other things, is a sin. Um, you know, I, I expected that that uh, challenges uh, to such Bible studies uh, taking place uh, and, uh, and increasing. And also, let's say you have a business, private business owner, and he 
and he's selling uh, selling selling cars, for example. So we have a car sit in, and it's an auto dealership. Uh, he hires a, a salesman to sell cars. Uh, Ninety days later, that salesman, that man comes in, uh, dressed like a woman, uh, you know, wearing makeup, and um, you know, has, hasn't really shaved fully. Uh, but he, he says, "Okay, I'm here to work." Uh, the law in California would would prevent that um, that manager, that business owner, from uh, from not only f- uh, uh, firing him, but also uh, from uh, moving him to a non-sales position to to do something else in the in the back of the store. So people could easily even even sabotage a competitor very easily now in California. Uh, under these uh, statutes. Brad, as we get that focus, and you were talking about those instances in the workplace, and we're talking with Brad Dacus today from the Pacific Justice Institute. You can find out more about him online at pacificjustice.org, pacificjustice.org. So we're talking about this impact on the workplaces, and you've talked about how owners have been handicapped and have really been stymied in many states across the country in standing up for their religious freedoms when it comes to Christianity. Yet when other religions want to be able to stand up for their freedoms, they're given their freedoms. How do we handle that disparity? Well, first is education. Uh, the, the, the business owners, uh, people you know, who, have, who are making these decisions, who are Christians, uh, about how to run their business, uh, they need to be educated as to all that they can do. And once again, that's why we provide that training video. Um, they, they also need to, to know that there's someone out there that can give them free counsel and representation, legal representation. That's Pacific Justice Institute without charge in all 50 states. Uh, we do this. Uh, we had a, for example, we had a Christian business owner, and him and his wife had a had a workout kind of a gym with a swimming pool, and they had Christian music, Christian pictures, uh, verses, and they were up front with the disclosure about this. One atheist mom sued them because she believed her son had it was entitled to be able to use their services without being uh, exposed to Christianity. And we won that case with uh, a, a, a clear motion to dismiss, upholding the rights of, of uh, those Christian business owners to live their faith and practice their faith. Uh, so it's, it's very real, and, um, and we want people to know that, uh, that, that we are here to help them and to, to represent them, as well as have resources to help them know their rights. And finally, I will say... Um, we need to, to decide up front, up front, who we will serve. Will it be the Lord? Will we follow, be true followers of Christ, which means we have to be willing to suffer persecution, as I mentioned in one of my, in my sermons uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, or um, are we going to be lukewarm and just go the easy route? And as Christians, uh, that's, not, that's not a part of Scripture. How, how as business owners, as business leaders, in my opinion, if we end up in a lawsuit, we've already lost a lot. How do we, how do we love those people who are antagonizing our faith in our workplace? So we've got an opportunity to share our faith before we get to the lawsuit. I mean, it, I mean, go ahead and address that. I mean, what what kind of advice do you give people? Yeah, um, well, they need to know the parameters uh, of what they can do and what they can. I have a whole seminar presentation on this, and maybe in the future we can get even more deeper into it. Uh, because there's so many specific things that, that they can do to legally evangelize uh, their faith. But most importantly, I think, is to be up front in the interview process. Uh, many of the managers don't realize that they're entitled to say right up front, I, you know, that, hey, um, to this person they're interviewing, uh, we are, I just want to be up front, we are a, a Christian-based uh, business. Um, we have uh, work, uh, Bible studies that are you know, voluntary, you don't have to attend if it violates your faith and beliefs. 
but we have uh, Bible studies, um, we have scripture, we have uh, Christ- uh, Christian music playing that's encouraging to us. Um, our goal as a company, and our mission is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to please customers in every way we can, as Christ would, or whatever. The- you can be right up front, and by being right up front, that person knows. And then you're quiet, and you watch their response. And you ask them one question, you say, now I'm not going to ask you about your faith, that would not be appropriate, but would you feel comfortable working for a company that is, as, like ours, like I just described? And you, you just sit there and you, and you look at their response, and if they're shaking their head no, but saying, yeah, there's no problem, yes, yes, well, that tells you right there then there is a problem. It's usually that's, that's body language speaking louder than the, than the voice um, oftentimes. But, uh, but you, you, you see whether... Uh, if they're really going to feel comfortable about it, they'll be they'll perk up. They'll say, "Oh yeah, you know that's great. No, that's that's wonderful." You know, and, and um, that's the most important time right there is upfront uh, disclosure and uh, in, in the proper way. And then also is as qualifying your employee. You know, when you share something that your pastor said or a joke from church and they don't respond uh, and say, "Oh really? What church you go to?" They don't. Then you understand probably where they're coming from, and um, and you can deal with them appropriately, lovingly. Uh, encouraging them if something's going on in their family, say, "Hey, I want you. To know I'm praying for you," and they'll know. Just letting them know that, that you're a person of faith, and as that time of crisis comes and they need to be ministered to, um, then you then you're, you're ready and and uh, and and you can do that. Um, that's sort of the get basic game plan that uh, in general, as far as employees. But there's so many specific things, incredible things that people just uh, with their mouths would drop if they had any idea. Um, what they can do in terms of uh, evangelizing through their company, through their business. And it's, it's so exciting. So people can find out lots of information on your website, pacificjustice.org. Really quickly, in 30 seconds, what can people find out on your website? How can you guys help? Oh, on our website? Yeah. Uh, well, there's the training videos on the website, part one and part two. Part two is even more important, Faith and Workplace. Um, but they're going to find out how they can directly evangelize their employees, share their te- how they can legally share their testimony with their employees, um, how they can bring in missions, ministries in, in, into the company, uh, have their employees go out into the missions themselves, uh, short-term mission trips, um, bring in, in all kinds of ministries, and, um, and, and really uh, create an environment that is very respectful of the employee, non-coercive, but at the same time does not hold back what, what uh, that company is about and what those, those uh, business owners believe. Brad Dacus, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it, and we'll make sure that everybody gets in. At least it gets, we'll point them to your website so they get access to those videos. Brad, thanks for being on I Work For Him today. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Keep it up. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to I Work For Him today. If you want to find out more about the Pacific Justice Institute, just go out to pacificjustice.org, pacificjustice.org. You've been listening to the I Work For Him radio program with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, and I own my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.